Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grow with Muin podcast. I am your host, Muin Zafar, and today I have with me Shreya Patel. Shreya is an actress, a visual storyteller, a human rights activist. Uh, she's an advocate for mental health. Uh, she's a speaker for Bell Let's Talk. Uh, Shreya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So um, how are you doing today? I'm good. Just in quarantine with my family, keeping safe. I hope you're well, too. Yeah, I'm well. Uh, we're doing the same. Do you have any special tips for anyone in quarantine? Turn to art. <laughs> like, dance, make music, like, learn a new skill. I think that will keep us going in these dark times. Yeah, that's true. I've been trying meditating, even though I've been slacking off. Um, I usually do it on a regular basis, but um, since the quarantine, I think it sort of derailed me, uh, some sort of stress totally that happened. <laughs> so, oh, I really uh, feel you. Yeah, so I, I, I fell off, but I've been uh, getting back on track this week. Last week was a bit of a roller coaster. Oh, I feel like everyone was going through so much last week, especially with like state of emergency, like everyone was trying to figure out about their jobs. I know a couple of people who lost their jobs, like full-time jobs. And I myself lost six jobs. I'm an artist, right? So I have, uh, it goes gig to gig. And in the gig economy, a lot of us have faced a lot of um, shutdowns in production. Yeah, um, it is, it is happening. But uh, something <laughs> that's, uh, that's necessary, I guess, to help uh, combat um, this global pandemic. Yeah, and on the positive, I feel like a lot of people are understanding what matters more. Mm -hmm. And people are spending more time with their families. And I'm guilty. I say like, you know, I've always been like very busy because I, I do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, you don't have a Shreya. Like you have to, <laughs> like, you don't have a, you can't say you're too busy anymore. And I love that. It's not, it's not, it's not cute to be busy. You know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it has been my life so far. And now things are slowing down. And, and I feel like a lot of people are realizing what matters more. Yeah, and that's a and that's a good thing. But let's uh, talk about how busy you are. So you, <laughs> you um, so you have some. You are someone who has a very unique career. Um, you do a lot of things, and uh, so I want to dive right into how it all started. Like, what's the origin story for Shreya? For <laughs> well, I wanted to be in fashion since I was like four years old. And I think it comes from my mom and mm -hmm. she got it from my grandmother who used to sew clothes and who loved fashion. So during, I, I grew up in Qatar. So during our summer holidays, my mom would like give me all of her fashion magazines and she'd be like, cut out your favorite outfit and put it in this blank book and, and style it. Like think what earrings you would wear. And, and then I grew up with that. And I was like, what do you, is there a career you can just do this for living? And she's like, well, fashion designing. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And my mom introduced me to this Indian designer who's pretty popular in Paris. Mm -hmm. Her name is Ritu Berry. So I grew up looking up to her. I was like, oh, this is cool, Ritu Berry. And then when I came to Canada and I applied for a fashion design program, my parents were like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, okay, well, it's not happening. Why don't you apply for like chemistry or bio? It's like, mm, no. <laughs> which was fashion and business. And I was like, this is, I don't know how this is going to go. And I did go to university for that, but I dropped out of my first year because I was like focused on everything but that. Like I was in the dance team. I was part of the student union. I was doing everything but that. Like I was working in the fashion industry by that time. Like I made sure I got in touch with Jeannie Becker. Do you know who Jeannie Becker is? No, I do not. She is a fashion icon and I have been following her work since I came to Canada when I was 11 and wow. she hosts fashion television. And when I moved to Toronto, I was like, I'm giving myself one year, my first year of university to go meet her. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I made it happen. <laughs> I don't know how I just emailed a bunch of people and I, I did some, some things, you know, like when people were busy partying, Mm -hmm. and and having that fun times I don't think I've ever done that 
because I was like, I just want to be Jeannie Becker so bad at that time. <laughs> so I would like really late. I would like find out what event she's going to. And she's like a icon. So how do you meet her? I ended up uh, meeting her in at Fashion Week. And I was like, well, when I graduate, I am going to take over her job. So I know that. I'm like, hey, I'm, really, I'm, I'm such a fan of yours. I grew up watching your stuff. And I, so I, if you have a card, like, can I, you know, can I have it? And can we stay in touch? Because once I graduate university, I want to take over your job. Hmm. <laughs> she was like, wow, this is, no one's ever told me. And I was like, well, like, I really, you know, I like your work. And she's like, okay. So- hey guys, we had a bit of a connection problem here. So there's a gap in the story. So after uh, Shreya meets her idol, Jeannie Becker, she uh, drops out of university. Thank you for your patience and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, I dropped out of university and I, I went into university much later in my life. So at that time, my parents were like, you should go to India to visit your extended family because you have not really grown up with their, them or know them. So I ended up going to Gujarat. And in a week's time, I ended up going to Bombay by myself in a train. Mm-hmm. I got there. <laughs> I went to an internet cafe, found a hostel to live in got to the hostel and I was like I, I just want to book a room here and then the warden there was like sorry there's no rooms here come back in three months and I was like what do you mean and she's like well have you seen the population of this country and I was like well yeah I guess but I I'm, I mean I don't I've never been here so she's like where are your family I'm like Sarnia it's like very Sarnia I'm like Canada she's like what are you doing here I'm like I don't know my dad used to always tell me stories about like Bombay and I wanted to see how it is (laughs) (laughs) so so she ended up finally helping me out and I think it was definitely like just destiny because like literally five hours like half a day of being in Bombay I ended up meeting someone in the fashion industry and I ended up working at LACMA Fashion Week and then from there, I got another job at Miss India organization where I actually met Ritu Berry, the designer that like initially sparked my interest in fashion. And wow. then, yeah, isn't that so cool? I was like so excited. <laughs> and then from there, I ended up working with Vogue India, the magazine. And then I quit that job to go to Dubai Fashion Week. And mm-hmm. by all of this, it was a year in India. And I kept on extending my ticket and four years and three months later I was like okay it's time to go back home because I was working with a bunch of charities in India Mm -hmm. well I I grew up working with a bunch of charities here as well since I was 11 but in India I noticed some things and it just sparked my interest in storytelling so Mm -hmm. I came back and went back to school for documentary filmmaking and I made my first documentary and then from there I also got into acting so now my I still model, of course. It's always gonna fashion is always gonna be my first love. Not just modeling, but just working even. Mm-hmm. But now my my interest is in storytelling, impact impact driven storytelling and and acting. Okay, that's interesting. So so you were in Canada and then you went back to India for four years, you said? Yeah, I was in India for four years and three months. Four years and three months. And then you came back here, went to school for Mm -hmm. documentary and filmmaking. You made a film. Yes. And uh, now you still model and you focus on speaking. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's a lot of things there that I (laughs) want to talk about. (laughs) Um, So first is, uh, let's go straight to your your film. So it was a documentary called Girl Up. You know. And it's about human sex trafficking in Canada specifically, right? Correct, yeah. Right, so what sort of sparked uh, sparked uh, that or inspired you to create that documentary film? With Girl Up, it's been an interesting journey because when I was in the university for a documentary, I had to make a short doc. And I was going to make it on a murder case that happened in my hometown in Sarnia. But last minute it did not work out and I had literally two months before I graduate and I graduate only when this project is in Hmm. Um, and I had no idea what to do I had to cast and do the whole film all over again and I met some very interesting people like I I wanted to tell stories and my my, like impactful stories and my teacher was like why don't you just do something simple 
like go on dates on the different dating apps and see how the dating world is or go back to Sarnia and see why everyone who leaves small town for university always comes back. I was like, well, that's not something that sparks my interest. Mm. My, I'm more of like a investigative type of a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I ended up interviewing, like not interviewing, meeting 12 convicts. And then I ended up meeting a Hell's Angels hitman. I How ended do up you even... meet convicts? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get these people? I, uh, I, I, contacted a lot of NGOs and prisons Uh and all of those things. Uh, Actually, I have a funny story. So one of, when I met these 12 convicts Mm -hmm. with obviously like a supervision uh, Mm -hmm. to tell my story, like I was like, is anyone interested in this documentary? And then later the supervisor was like, okay, yeah, one of them seems like they would want to share their story. Uh, Where is your team? I'm like, well, I am the team. And he's (laughs) like, what? he's like you're so young and you're like a woman like how are you gonna do this I'm like oh I can do it and like I I was young and like I don't know naive I guess ignorant like I don't know and he's like you need a team I was like I'm like no no I can do it he's like no they're like sex offenders like some of them like you can't just go by yourself and like you need at least one other person I was like well that's Talks. and then even hell's angels hitman i was like this guy's cool i spoke to him for two three hours on the phone and my teacher's like don't you dare don't you dare go over to his house and interview him this is not happening i'm like well you did it he's she's like well i did it with a team of people and police mm. beside me and i was like okay well that's not gonna work out but i ended up getting introduced to this girl who I thought was a sex worker, who like an ex-sex worker. I thought she was coming back to the community now, uh, leaving Mm. that work and looking for other jobs. I was like, well, this is interesting. She's my age, very timid, shy. Um, I don't know, something about her. I was like, maybe I'll tell her a story. How did you find her? uh, Through an NGO. Ah, okay. Uh, I met I met with her and she would keep disappearing on me a lot of times mm-hmm. and canceling and then one stormy afternoon she's like okay fine I'll do the interview mm-hmm. I still remember that day vividly because it was a storm outside and it was just of course just me and my passion and my mm-hmm. camera just going on my way to her house into this basement and then I shot the interview with her just her and I just for it comfort Mm-hmm. Well, also, I did not have a team. Let's be real here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. Uh, while we were talking, we got really comfortable with each other. And she was so articulate and so trusting and such an amazing person. And she shared her story about being domestic human trafficked. And I was like, I don't know what this means. What are you talking about? Because for me, trafficking means like someone's getting kidnapped and forced into sex labor or any kind of labor really mm-hmm. this girl is telling me that she was dating someone and he pushed her into it and i was like this i don't this is manipulation of some sort but i had no idea that it had a term called domestic human trafficking mm-hmm. and at that time it wasn't even something that was spoken about in canada well i don't know about canada but definitely ontario because there was no law at that time and in 2015 uh, it, the bill got passed in 2017 as a recognition that yes, domestic human trafficking happens. And mm-hmm. only just in March of this year, there was a five-year strategy that came out on how to combat domestic human trafficking that Ontario is going to implement. You so mean it's this year, like March 2020. Year, March 2020, they just came up with five-year strategy on how they're going to combat it. Mm. And I was talking about it. No one knew about it at all. And I have done so many. So for two years after that, I never showed the documentary because I try to showcase it at, well, my teacher and my program try to showcase it, showcase it at hot docs and one other screening, but it didn't work. It did not work out. And I just lost all hope. Mm. So for two years, I was like, I, I don't know what to do with it. And then I was like, you know what? This is not okay. There are so many people that put in their hard work. So for instance, like the survivor who told me her story and and a couple of the people who who lend their music to me it's not fair Mm -hmm. Uh, so I just self-released it I booked a theater I called all my friends and family I called some producers and I was acting by that time so I called the producers of the film that I was acting in Mm -hmm. and I showcased it and such a conversation sparked after that it was so interesting. So many people were like, we, we have been talking about this film even after two days 
And I always wanted to make it into a feature. So one of the producers from my film that I acted in was like, Shreya, I think you need to extend it mm. and let me help you. So I, yeah, basically I extended it by 50 minutes. And the way I got the second two people where when I released the first short doc, which was 26 minutes, a short review about it came out. And an MPP in Queen's Park, her name is Lori Scott, who helped pass the bill. She found reviews about it and tweeted it to my MPP in Sarnia, which was wild. I woke up and I was like, oh, wow, what? An MPP knows about my documentary? This is, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's who I interviewed for the documentary. And then one of my journalist friend who uh, knows another journalist has been reporting about this since 2008. So she's an award-winning journalist. Her name is Tamara Cherry. So I interviewed her as well. So now we have a survivor. Then we have what uh, the government is doing. And we also have a reporter who's been talking about this since over like a decade. And that's the one that blew up. Like, uh, I'm so grateful for it. It has been showcased at many community screenings. Toronto International Film Festival found reviews about it online, partnered with it to showcase it at the Civic Action Summit, where a lot of civic action leaders were there who watched it and and had a massive panel discussions. It's been showcased at the TIFF Residence Theatre last April. It's I've been very grateful for it, where it has reached. I guess everything has its timing, and this one had its too. Yeah, and then uh, such incredible impact that you've made just from, well, it initially started as a documentary just for you to graduate, mm-hmm. and then it just became so much more. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of it, it, it comes from it comes from you and your desire to follow things of interest and follow, you know, the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. And then, so in between, you said there was a two-year two gap when you, after you interviewed um, the person for the documentary. Mm-hmm. And then in those two years, something, something within you started and you didn't want to let people who were involved with you let them down. So in this case, like I, I like to say when, when the cause is greater than yourself, you sort of will yourself to do it because it's not just for you anymore. There's a bigger picture here. And mm-hmm. I think part of you could, could see that or at least feel that. And you went and you went with it regardless. So so congratulations mm-hmm. on the documentary and all the impact Thank that it's you. made. It's doing, good, it's doing good work. Thank you so much. It's, that means a lot. It's You're welcome. Stuff, yeah, no. stuff needs to be spoken about, you know, and unfortunately the government can only do so much because even at the, I went to this women's forum last year. It was um, under 35 women's forum where you have to like win your, I was lucky enough to uh, win my riding and, and represent like university in Rosedale there. Mm-hmm. And I brought up this issue about human trafficking and mental health, of course, but human trafficking. And one of the, I was like, why is the education about this not taught in schools? Because most of these girls that are getting impacted are in elementary and high school. Mm-hmm. And her response was <laughs> shocking because she was like, well, if you teach this in schools, you're giving little boys ideas on how to traffic girls. And I was like, you're telling me a 14-year-old boy is going to be like, yeah, ways to make lucrative money on a 14-year-old girl. Like, <laughs> it's a shame, you know? It's yeah. a shame for the thinking because I think education can save so many lives. And if they're not going to do it, well, I'm going to do my, my, my part in it. No, I definitely agree with that. And that's why we need people like you to continue doing this sort of work. Because, yeah, the more awareness there is, the better it is. And and uh, human trafficking is such an issue that you don't really think that it's real because unless you know someone who's been involved with it, right? And mm-hmm. I, I've certainly had that experience too, like where you've seen movies where they, where they discuss this and talk about it. And it's always happening in some faraway land mm-hmm. where you can't really uh, make a sort of a human connection to it. But this yep. is such a real thing and real issue. And then a lot of, um, I think, celebrities recently have taken like the plunge into this as well, trying to force uh, lawmakers to make laws around this or raise some awareness around this or save people who are involved with this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're doing part of that work, which is great. And I, and I love that. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's important to even speak to your kids about it too, you know, because if, if the government isn't doing anything and you're aware of this, I think it's important to have that open conversation with everyone that you know. 
Yeah, my I mean my daughter is three right now, so I think oh, I'll, very I'll, young. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's good to know. Um, I mean, uh, I was just reading about your documentary and, you know, just realizing that this is a real issue in Canada as well. Oh, huge. Yeah. And so now that my awareness is there, it's not going to go away. (laughs) It it doesn't discriminate against any race, gender, Mm -hmm. socioeconomic backgrounds. It's really, it can happen to anyone. And I think that's where people are lacking the understanding because every time i bring it up they're like well is the girl in your documentary a a, a immigrant or a lower class family Mm. i was like no she's caucasian from a really great family it can Mm. happen to anyone and she is extremely articulate like that girl is has three degrees under her belt right now like wow she's doing some incredible things you know and i've since that time that i met her i met many survivors after that who are doing incredible work uh, who have come from great backgrounds mm-hmm. like straight A students who fall into it because it's not how smart you are it's just the vulnerability you're so young that you will fall into prey that's what we need to understand it's not about how rich or poor you are and, and how smart or how you know not smart you are it's not about that yeah, there's so many factors, right? And even if you come from a well-off family, um, it depends on the relationships you have with your parents or your siblings or, you know, or whether you feel like you're being loved or heard or, you know, there's so many things that can go into that. And you can be vulnerable from a number of different reasons and it doesn't necessarily have to come from socioeconomic factors, like you yep. just said. Okay, so... Um, so we've talked about Girl Up, which is a huge thing. I really wanted to address that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, let's talk about more about mental health. So you also um, speak for Bell Let's Talk. How did that sort of come about? And uh, yeah, how did you land, land that gig? Well, I think it's... Um, so with mental health, I've always been uh, open about it since I realized what I was going through. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I was bullied in school. I think I probably, I'm not aware, but I think I probably had anxiety growing up. I was, I didn't know what to name it. I wasn't taught about it. No one speaks about it in my family. Um, When I was in India, I got into, I felt severe anxiety and I had no idea what I was feeling. I could not breathe at one point. So I would Google things like, oh, fish out of the water or like, I cannot breathe, feels like suffocation and, and anxiety would pull, pull up. And I knew what anxiety was, but I just th- didn't think it would happen to me because mm. no one ever speaks about it. Right. Um, eventually, I came back to Canada and I had another trigger when I was in school, actually, for a second massive anxiety attack that I had. Um, and then I, I took myself to the hospital, not hospital, a clinic. And I was like, well, I, I'm going through these things. I can't sleep. I, this is the second time I've been feeling this way, that this, this extreme severe, um, can't breathe feeling. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you have anxiety and here's, here's some, here's some pills. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about taking these pills. So I, I maybe I took like one or two, but I didn't, I really did not follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, well, I want to, I want to see if there's other ways to cope with this. Um, and oh, even before I went to the clinic, I remember telling my parents about it. I was like, well, I'm feeling this like really weird feeling. And they were like, okay, well, what is stressing you out? Is it stress? What can we do? And they they were so on board with helping me heal. So that was like calming in a mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah, and really then good. I found, yeah, because it's very rare. It is, it is very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, once I told them I had anxiety, they're like, well, okay, we understand. Um, we all, we all understood what this was together, which was really interesting. Um, I think that's why they were more like wanting to learn what it was. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up writing, well, this girl, Jessie Barrar, she's amazing. She has this uh, South Asian Instagram page called Ment- the mental health spotlight mm-hmm. and she connects with all these different south asian people that she knows and asks them to write about mental health and if they want to share their stories they can and i remember her coming up to me and telling me to share mine if i wanted to or, or say anything you know as a as a model or an actress like say anything about it and i did not write i i would write and i would not send it 
or I would like re- rewrite it because I didn't know how to even say it. I think I had stigma myself. Mm. I was like, what will people think? Like, you know, right. all these yep. things because that's how you grow up. Mm-hmm. And finally, she kept on messaging me a couple of times more. And she's like, hey, I just wanted to see if you have a blurb. Hey, just wanted to see anything would do. And finally, I just wrote it. I was like, you know what? This is, I need to just write this. This is, this, is, this is about resilience. And this is about how you can have a warrior mentality to get out of it. Mm. And it's not about the, the, what you went through. It's about how you came out of it that is more impactful. So that's what I concentrated on. Mm. And then since then, I have, I've had conversations. Like I think people our age normally have conversations with their friends very openly about this. Like, yeah, I'm going through this or I'm going through this. And you realize that everyone's going through something or the other because mental health really does affect everyone. Mm-hmm. And then Bell Let's Talk found me through that blog and contacted me to be part of Bell. And even at that time, to take my story nationally was a fear <laughs> because yeah. again, stigma, right? And massive stigma. Yeah, especially in South Asian communities. Mm-hmm. So massive stigma. My mom and dad were like, what do you mean? You're going to tell your story to the world now? And I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. And I spoke to my best friend and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. And she was like, well, you know what? Why don't you just do it? Because this is what breaking stigma really means. Mm-hmm. And then see how people react to it. Like it's, it, this is, this is your chance to actually like do something. Right. So I, I became part of it. And since then, though, it was so overwhelming, the response, because the first time Bell Let's Talk uh, came out, the holdings were out. The amount of people that messaged me was immense. And the Mm -hmm. amount of people were like, thank you for sharing your story. Like, I'm South Asian as well. And like, you know, I resonated with this. and, And so many stories came out from it. And since then, it's just been so great because I've I've gotten the chance to sit on many panels and see ripple effects when I share my story in panels Mm -hmm. I see other audience members just like speaking out about it as well so you see how sharing can impact so many people yep and that's what it is uh that's what it's exactly all about right because if you have a story and you're comfortable telling it then there are people who are going to be inspired by it, inspired to share their truth or share their pain, whatever it is. And that's what you did when you stepped up and, you know, went on Bell Let's Talk. And your story was heard and sparked, I'm sure it sparked so many conversations, mm-hmm. especially in the South Asian community. Oh, this yeah. Is, this is something that is not talked about openly or parents just ignore it or it's not real to them. And you brought it to light and suddenly all uh, all of a sudden, people your age, you know, South Asian people, whatever they may be, you know, they, they felt comfortable feeling the way that they were feeling and talking about it to their parents. They s- certainly saw it as something real and not something that they were just making up in their own head. Mm-hmm. So It was insane. Like the, the response is just so heartwarming, really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, and that's so great that people actually reach out to you to let you know that, you know what, what you did, it, it worked. And it's so important, especially with the kind of work that you do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking about mental health and, and, and storytelling, the, the best thing that you can get is feedback from the audience saying that, you know, and what you said helped. It sort of helps uh, you keep going. I certainly felt that with the work that I do. And I resonate with this story so much, especially with <laughs> about, about the stigma with the parents and, and Southeast Asian community. I wrote a book and it was about an unplanned pregnancy with someone from a different culture, different nationality mm. than mine, right? Wow, and yeah. I was in a similar stage uh, that you were in when you were writing and rewriting or thinking about going through with it or not going through with it. What will people say? All that same stuff. And, wow. And eventually... Because you think a lot about, you know, uh, about your parents and there's obviously right. so much more that it comes to communities in South Asia and mm-hmm. whatever they think matters so much more for some reason to our parents. And, and, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, and to me, I wanted to move past that barrier because I didn't want to be stuck with it for the rest of my life. What will people think? And I remember I, I was, I always used to hate it when they used to say it to me as a kid. 
yep <laughs> as i look at that kid or look at you know fla auntie's kid or <laughs> look at this kid look at what would they say and all that stuff so i really wanted to move past that and this my experience gave me the opportunity to sort of create something that would help me move past it and see and know that my parents and my family will still be okay even if i talk about it and i'm doing myself and others in my situation a favor by doing this that was sort of my motivation and how i pushed myself to do it that's so incredible like thank you for sharing that with me because what like and i always say that because it's like thank you because it's very difficult for for a lot of people to share and the fact that you had the courage to write your story and put it out there despite of what you might face that's that's strength man like thank you for doing that like i'm sure so many people are going to resonate with you and especially like people who are going through similar things like south asian community is definitely like people who are our age will definitely resonate you're welcome and you know that's uh, part of the reason why i did it and i always saw um, you know when i came to canada i saw people uh, in relationships with different backgrounds and and at the end of the day most of their issues were stuck on you know religion or what their what what their parents would think mm-hmm. and that's how most of the relationships ended too right so for me yep. if i if i saw some, if if i saw someone who was in a relationship and you know was seen as as a huge barrier i always told them you know what you should be able to move past it but everyone's not ready to fight that sort of battle right mm-hmm. but and you got to show them that you are and that it's okay and and you're still alive at the end of it you know you're just you just grew through that experience and uh, you can't really control how people will react that's just I something agree. that's out of your control i i loved what you said right now and i i so agree with that because i don't know why um where our families come from this whole thing about society is so big and it still is and it it bothers me as well and a lot of people our age i think understand that and resonate with that but our parents like what will this person say why who cares because i think they have the same fear what will we say like but do you care do you speak about them no why are we speaking about them you know yeah like it's it sucks why why what will other people say matter so much when we should be concentrating on how what makes us happy and what 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 is it to be really alive because when when things like this come into play like oh you can't be with the, your partner of choice because of their race or religion like that hurts <laughs> like it's just let's look at each other as just human beings you know especially in a country like canada mhm it's funny cuz i grew up in sarnia <laughs> 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 and i was the only south asian person well not south asian just person of color mhm in elementary school and high school like there's not even one person of color in this whole town when i grew up wow. and my mom found a diary of me this is the funny story and it had like like i and this is like when i was like in elementary school right and it would have all these names and they're like all this generic generic like white people name like john smith i don't know but like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like i love this i love this like generic names right and my mom's like come over here <laughs> she's like this is not okay <laughs> i'm like well you got me into this country and you brought me to sarnia puberty is hitting i'm sorry i'm going to have crushes and the crushes that i'm going to have are people that are around me i do not even watch bollywood like i don't know what to tell you <laughs> but now obviously this is like when i was very young now she is cool with any like she's she's just like love is love do what you want to do and no. i think that's come with obviously her growing a lot like my parents i'm so grateful that they have really really grown with the culture really try to understand me and my brother really mm-hmm. try to see what the canadian lifestyle is like and 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 put like our our own culture into it and mix it mm-hmm. instead of being very strict like they were when they first moved here which i understand because they were also trying to fit into the culture see the country and we were very young at the time and we wanted to just fit in right and then so yeah it's kind of uh i think of it as like generational thinking right because your parents were brought up the same way right and and they don't know uh, or even my parents were brought up with the same thinking what would others think and they don't know what what else is there like what other way is there to live and then you or me through our actions we can show them a different way of thinking 
and that's yep. where where that's where the generational generational thinking stops right and then and if you think about it in terms of the next generation when you if you want to have kids at some point you're going to teach them the ways that you think are correct and to your best ability right and the same with our parents right they they they're bringing us up with the best way that they think is possible and to right. them it's what society thinks and a certain jobs you know like a doctor or a lawyer and that's the way to success and that's the way to happiness so that's mm-hmm. that's their model of reality but we we can see that models of reality can be different for each individual and once you like once once you push past that barrier you can open so much for for yourself and even for your family like you can offer them growth opportunities like i'm sure you did and your brother did by um, even writing that small diary that you did in elementary school, <laughs> yeah. it showed it showed her something, right? Yeah. And then props to them, right? Because growth is always a choice. It yes. always comes in something in a form of discomfort or pain or it's uncomfortable. And then it's your choice if you want to stay the same or if you want want to look past it and you know uh, expand your comfort zone and grow. So yeah. Um, I love that. Yeah, you're right. It is growth is always a choice. I really like that because it is true. If it wasn't for my mom to take an initiative to be like, okay, well, even even studying about mental health or even even anything for that instance, she'd be like, okay, well, this is happening. Let me like, she's a Google queen. Uh, <laughs> so she'll Google anything. And then she'll have discussions with me and my brother very, very openly, which is something that I've always admired about her because she's always been one of those people who always want to grow and understand different perspective before, you know, putting her own opinion onto you. Mm. That's great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mom does not Google. <laughs> um, but uh, let's uh, let's move on to something else now. So um, I saw on your Instagram profile that you were nominated for Forbes 30 under 30. Yeah. How was that? that w- <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I, I'm so grateful. I was in... LA this is no jokes like I am not making this up I was in LA I was going from one meeting to another and I was Mm -hmm. sitting in a cab and I looked at my email and it said from Randall Lane he's the editor of Forbes and again I don't know who this who he was until this happened right Mm -hmm. because I don't I had never followed it as much and I had no idea this even existed anything like 30 under 30 um (laughs) <laughs> and then I, it said like Randall Lane in, invitation to, you know, pitch an idea at this summit in Berlin, and oh, also you're nominated. <laughs> and I was like, okay, goodbye. And I put it away because mm-hmm. I was like, this is a nice joke that someone from my improv team or someone from Second City is pulling on me. Like, not cool. These guys like need to stop this joke. Ta-ta, bye-bye. <laughs> and then <laughs> the next day, like I was looking at my emails again and thank God I did not delete it. Yes. But I was just looking at it and I was like, let me check what this is again. And then I told, like I told, like as soon as I read the first email, I did tell my my parents and I did tell one of my best friends about it. And we, we all were Googling it because we were like, is this real? And she's like, well, this person is real. I was like, well, I think they got the wrong person because it said under education category and I'm in the entertainment. And also the last time I checked, people like The Weeknd and Kylie Jenner were on the entertainment side and I am just a person from Sarnia. Like, I don't know. This is is probably wrong. Hmm. And I definitely emailed him back being like are you sure you got the right person for sarnia ontario canada and they're like yeah we do it we're like okay well um i think you got wrong because i'm not in the education sector i'm in the entertainment but now everything makes sense because education and mental health and human trafficking and the things that i've been doing with other charities Mm. uh, it makes so much sense um and then yeah I, i had the opportunity to send in a pitch proposal to pitch at the summit in Berlin Mm -hmm. and um, my summit was paid for. So I flew to Berlin. (laughs) Like I found this information out in a week and a half or two weeks time. I flew to Berlin for the summit. Wow. So (laughs) it was incredible. I think for the first time in my entire life, I finally found people um, 
like in in one summit because I've met amazing people throughout my life. I've been lucky enough to to meet people, but but in one summit that were similar to our age, who are doing incredible things in different categories mm. and excelling in their jobs, like it's 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 amazing, and it's just such a such a great environment and so inspiring. And I'm still in touch with them. Actually, I'm at uh, currently in the global Forbes group. We started this um, COVID concert like digital concert we're trying to make like a digital concert to raise awareness around the world mm-hmm. and fundraise uh so that's what i'm working on with the, that team and other people as well but that global team like the the group is solid and i have ha- I, now i have friends from all around the world <laughs> so it's just been such an incredible experience that's so cool thank you for sharing that story <laughs> yeah i'm just so grateful for it yeah um so we are coming to the end of the episode. So I do want to ask you two more things. Sure. So one is someone who is or has been or is in similar shoes as to, as to you or your similar situation when you sort of dropped out of university and went back to India and you went through this sort of process of discovering and finding out what it is that you actually wanted to do. What would you say to them? What sort of well, message would you give to someone who's looking to find a career or something that they're passionate about and just just go with it? You got to get up and do it. Because honestly, you, you, all I can tell you is th- this happened to me and this is why I do it and I'll share that and I hope it inspires other people. I was 15 or 16 years old and I was uh, coming back from high school, I was in the dance team. So I stayed back and I was waiting for a bus, like a local bus to take me home. Mm-hmm. And there, there was this older lady in a pink fur jacket. She came up to me and she was like, you're so young. And I was like, that's how she started the conversation. And I was like, okay, well, hi. Uh, she's like, you know, I wasted my life just partying and smoking and all of these things. She's like, I look at you and I see what could have been. And she's like, just live your life. Like when you're 80 years old, you want to look back and be like, I have lived it the way I wanted to live. And you have not wasted one day. And, and it's like, if you can't think that far, she's like, live your life like it's your last. And I know that everyone says that, but I don't know what kind of impact it had on me. Maybe a little too much because I started going at the speed of 120 kilometers an hour. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, I got to do this, 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 this in one day. And, and I it was it was too much very honestly but that did impact me a lot because look at your life right now are you happy if you're not get up and change it because it's all in your hand and yes we have responsibilities i agree that sometimes people are don't have that kind of luxury to just get up and do what they want to do but if if you're working a 9 to 5 job and you hate it no problem work that 9 to 5 job but when you come back home do what you love to do give yourself that an hour to grow because even when I was working a nine to five job, I did it once for one year. And mm-hmm. I told myself that I'm working for someone else. So every day I have to do something for myself. And I would take, I would be so tired, but I would force myself to take an hour and a half to go to my circus school, per, like do my like skill, like learn and come back home every day, no matter what, even though I would curse myself while I'm mm-hmm. going there, I'm so tired. But once I get there, I'm like, I have to do this for myself. So make sure you do something for yourself. It's not worth it. You don't want to be 80 years old looking back and be like, I worked for someone else or I did something that I wasn't passionate about. It's not worth it. Mm, That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that powerful message. I'm sure someone who's heard this when the episode is published, obviously, will be inspired. And yeah, it's such a great piece of advice. You know, listening to older people, I've certainly had that in in my life always asking people who are a bit ahead of you and uh, asking for their opinion i mean you don't always have to listen to it but man if you really want to change something you you're right the power is in your hands and um i've certainly felt that in the last couple of years whenever i did want to change something i I had to stand for it and just sort of um spearheaded like you gotta do it yep that's so incredible because you have you have that too with the podcast and everything. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Um, well, I used to work at at the bank, right? 
mm-hmm. and um, and it was weird because uh, I would I would drive to work, and I had I had already had my daughter by then. I had graduated, mm-hmm. um, and so when I was commuting, I would only see her an hour each day, and that mm-hmm. for to me was very sad. Yeah. And I would think, you know, this is my, this is my baby, this is my daughter. And if I'm not there with her, then what's the point? Yeah. So, so I sort of, I quit that job and I found another job. It was much closer to home. It was like 20 minute drive. I was like, okay, perfect. I spend time with my daughter. I go to work. I come back. Everything's fine. But then I noticed that whenever, whenever I would get close to work, Mm -hmm. like two or three minutes away, I would start getting like a huge surge of anxiety and stress. And oh. first it was very little, but it accumulated over time. And I was like, what is that? Why am I feeling this way? Why is it so bad? And then I remember one time I was at the gym, I was running on the treadmill and I stopped and I, and I laid on the floor and I started crying. And at that moment, I knew that I had to quit. Like this is something that I can no longer do. Wow. Powerful. Yep. And uh, I remember like the right the next day, I went to my manager, my voice was still shaking <laughs> when I told her I wanted to quit. And she asked me, so would you want to quit like after um, like the week is over or what do you want? And I was like, now, right now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your story is like mine. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I did. And she's like, oh, what do you have planned? Like, what's, what's, your, what's your idea? And at that time, I had an idea for a business and I told her and she liked it and she wished me well. She was a nice manager. Mm-hmm. But um, that idea sort of uh, hasn't panned out. I, I did write my book after that. I just started my podcast after that. I did, I did some coaching. I went through hypnotherapy, which was kind of cool. Wow. My, my interest has always been in the subconscious mind. Right. And, and the power it has to uh, shift our thinking. And a lot of the beliefs that we pick up are from childhood. And when we were, when we were young, so this is part of my research. I read uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton's Biology of Belief. So mm-hmm. he, he says that when children are between zero to six or zero to seven, I think. Seven, yeah. yeah their brain waves are in the theta state. And theta is uh, imagination where when a child can be on a broomstick and to them it's uh, like a flying, a flying broomstick or a horse. That's theta. Correct. And theta can also be hypnosis, which which is uh, that everything you're seeing, you're watching, everything is being taken in into your subconscious mind without any filters, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And and the purpose of that is between the ages of zero to seven, your brain is recording all the rules for community, for language, interactions with other people, with animals. It's taking all of that in. And then after that age, you become conscious of all these rules. Yep. And, and to me, that was very fascinating because some of the beliefs that you can pick up as a child, for example, if your mom and dad ever fought over money, you could have made a meaning out of it saying that, oh, people fight over money. Money is bad. I don't want money. Mm-hmm. And that belief could be ruling your life where you might, you might be sabotaging opportunities for yourself to get a better job or start a new career or start your own business. because deep down inside you believe that money is bad and you don't want money yep that's so so true i've kind of forgotten where i was going with that (laughs) you were telling you were talking about how like you're into subconscious mind like i i totally like believe that because you're talking about hypnotherapy yes hypnotherapy yeah (laughs) Yeah, so uh, so i had you know issues with self-esteem and anxiety and putting myself out there and I wanted to tackle that, you know, right at, at its core through the subconscious mind. And hypnosis for me was one way to do that, of exploring that. And I did. And I went through a program for six months. And I met this incredible family who had a business uh, in Mississauga. Mm. Uh, and uh, the owner, he sort of became my friend as well. And he knew my story. And he offered me uh, like uh, a job to work with them as well. Wow. So, yeah. And it was really nice because it was something that I wanted. I wanted to be under someone's mentorship who was, who already had a business and I wanted to do something different. And what uh, kind of business is it? So he has a wellness center in Mississauga in Brampton. Wow. And mm. uh, it's called Alive and Free Wellness and Hypnosis. 
So mm. they do chiropractic services and uh, hypnotherapy. That's so cool. I'm so into these things. Today has been a very interesting day because I spoke to a 15-year-old girl today who um, messaged me on LinkedIn and she's like, I've just been inspired by your mental health initiatives and this reinvent uh, program that I started. Mm -hmm. And she called me from Boston. And this girl is into, uh, she speaks the same thing that you're speaking about. And I I speak about that as well, about uh, neuroplasticity and how you can, you know, if you understand how to change your, like you can rewire your brain basically. Mm -hmm. And we had such a great conversation this morning. And it's so interesting that we're having it right now as well. I would love to like, after the call, of course, like share some links with you. And if you have something like, let's share some stuff because I'm, I'm very much into these things as well. Yeah, you should look sure. into Dr. Joe Dispenza. I'm sure I've spoken about this to mm-hmm. you before as well. Yeah, I know um, him. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, um, I've checked out some of his work. I'll, I'll look more into it because he's certainly popping up on my feet a lot more. <laughs> so I'm sure there's <laughs> yeah. something new that I need to learn from him. Yeah, and definitely share like what you have found out as well because it's, it's, yeah, let's share this and let's rewire these programs that we have been fed since we were young, especially how we grew up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Sometimes I think and I'm like, it's incredible that I'm here right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and how we think, how we has evolved since the way we grew up, right, with our families and what with the societies and all these things. And here we are breaking stigmas and breaking those taboos and wanting to be better versions of ourselves it's, yeah. it's really nice yeah we gotta pat ourselves on the back too yeah. because it's an incredible story and if you look back uh, you know in your country and some of your friends and you can see that how hard it is for everyone to see that sort of perspective too oh and, yeah and you understand them but it's uh, it's a choice right like growth is a choice like we said um so let's wrap up this episode Yep. Um, If people want to find you and connect with you, what's one place that they can find you? So all of my social media and and my website is the same. It is Mm -hmm. iamshreyapatel.com. So, but the uh, I the M is not the letter uh, the word am. It's just M. Gotcha. So it's iamshreyapatel.com, and all the social medias are the same handle. All right. Perfect. I'll. uh... Was there a reason behind you wrote I am Shreya Patel instead of just Shreya Patel? Well, you know, we too many people have my name. (laughs) (laughs) I'm John Smith of India. Uh, (laughs) Everyone had everything, including I am was gone. So I had to use the letter M. (laughs) that's That's how common my name is. And I made this up when I was really young. And I was like, maybe I should just change it. But now it's just stuck to I am and it's just... (laughs) <laughs> it's just what it is now yeah it, it works it, it works <laughs> I'll, I'll put the link uh when i publish the episode so people know yeah. exactly where it is and i want to thank you for coming on this podcast with me and sharing your story i'm sure it will inspire someone who uh tunes in so thank you thank you for having me as well such a great conversation with you keep going thank you i will <laughs> <laughs>